It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, August 13th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. An FBI search of former President Trump's home is raising plenty of questions. The general rule is that you use whatever investigatory tools are, you know, least intrusive, most narrowly tailored. I'm Kevin Cork. By the millions, they've come across the southern border illegally. But while Texas has had to deal with the crisis firsthand for quite some time, now, thanks to their governor, Democrat-led cities like New York and Washington, D.C. are sampling the bitter taste of life on the border. I think the one thing that everyone agrees on in this, everyone being Governor Abbott as well as the mayors of D.C. and New York City, is that everyone wants more from the Biden administration. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Unprecedented. It's a word used a lot in Washington, and not always correctly, but it applies this week to the FBI search of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home in Florida. Trump himself first told the world of the search warrant in a statement Monday evening, calling it dark times for our nation. Three days later, Attorney General Merrick Garland addressed the search and said he personally approved the request to search a former president's home. And given the high profile circumstances, asked the magistrate judge who authorized the warrant to unseal it. That happened Friday afternoon. The document tells us some, but not all, about what the Justice Department is seeking, namely records, some with top-secret classifications stored at Mar-a-Lago. Three statutes are listed. One deals with gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information. A second, the concealment, removal, or mutilation of material. And a third, the destruction, alteration, or falsification of records in federal investigations. We do not know from the search warrant or the property receipt of what was seized the nature of the classified material. Reports have varied about the sensitivities. Republicans in Congress are demanding a full briefing from Garland and FBI Director Christopher Wray about the aggressive step of executing a search warrant. For his part, former President Trump says all of the documents were declassified, something sitting presidents have the power to do, and he would have handed over anything he was asked for. Fox News has reported this week the Justice Department was in talks up until June with Trump's team over documents and those efforts at some point broke down. But let's get back to the search warrant and the decision to ask a court for one. Tom Dupree knows about those requests. He served previously in the Justice Department as Deputy Assistant Attorney General. We spoke this week before the court released the actual warrant about what the Justice Department is investigating and if this is a case of overreach by the FBI or Attorney General. Well, it means there's an investigation. Uh, It doesn't mean that the Justice Department has determined with certainty that a crime has been committed. Really, all a search warrant says is that the Justice Department has a reasonable evidentiary basis for believing that there's evidence uh, of this crime they're investigating at the targeted location. And of course, 
they have to specify with particularity exactly what it is they're looking for. They can't just do an open-ended fishing expedition where they root around. They have to say, here are the documents or other evidence we're looking for. And so they have to be specific in the ask to the judge. This is specifically what we are looking for, and this is specifically why we think it is in this location. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, not not to get too constitutional and historic on you today, but the uh, problem back at the founding was that the British had what were known as general warrants, where they would come in and just root around the colonist's house and basically seize anything they see in sight and then sort through it all, collect the contents of all your house and then search through it to figure out if you committed a crime. And that was one of the reasons why the Fourth Amendment enshrines a requirement of particularity where they have to say, here are the specific things we're looking for. We can't seize all of your property. How specific does it need to be? Let me like use the example of what's behind my shelf, right? Would it have to be as specific as we want to see the Fox News radio mic flag? We want to see the Washington Capitals plush toy and we want to see the Dallas Cowboys coffee mug. Is that like how specific it has to be? You could probably be a little more general than that, but you can't <laughs> okay. say no, it, you, you, you have, I mean, it, it, it depends kind of on, on what exactly you're looking for. In other words, you can't say, uh, you know, any evidence that might have been used in the commission of a crime, right? Because okay. that's too darn general. Okay. Um, you know, I, I don't think you'd have to say a red plush toy. I think you could probably <laughs> get away with saying, you know, uh, kind of items that were, you know, purchased at a Capitals game, for example. The other thing that Garland talked about was a receipt that's given to the attorneys, in this case, for for former President Trump. So is that a a very specific inventory on essentially what the agents have taken with them? Yes, it is. And, you know, the idea really is it, it protects both the government and the person whose property is taken. It protects the government because, again, as you accurately said, it's basically a receipt a log of the things that they're carting off. Uh, It also protects the person because, of course, then you can say, hey, they took 10 boxes from me. And then at some point in the future, when they need to return the boxes, you can say, here's what they took. I expect Mm -hmm. to get it back. Okay. Does the the other thing that that Merrick Garland said that the attorney general said is that the, the Justice Department, as practiced, tries not to go the search warrant route. What, I'll first ask, one, was that your experience at the Justice Department? And two, if there are things that you want to get, what other avenue would there have been? Right. It, well, first, yeah, yes, that is, I mean, certainly consistent with my experience. And I strongly suspect you would get the same answer from anyone who served in the department or in a law enforcement capacity. In other words, the general rule is that you use whatever investigatory tools are, you know, least intrusive, most narrowly tailored. Uh, In other words, you know, the military analogy is that the first weapon you deploy is not the nuclear bomb, right? You you work (laughs) way up. And and so, yes, what, what he said was exactly accurate in that respect. With regard to the second part of your question about what other tools do you have? Well, you've got a lot. I mean, the first tool, I suppose, would just be old-fashioned requests and negotiation. You would pick up mm-hmm. the phone, you would have a meeting, you'd say, here are the items that we would like to get to see if they're in your possession and would like give back. Um, if that doesn't work, then the next step up would be, for example, a, a formal court request, either a subpoena, some sort of formal request for documents. The search warrant route is is really kind of at the end of the range. In other words, when you send, you know, armed FBI agents in to forcibly, you know, open the door, kick in the door, break apart safes, things like that, it's hard to get more intrusive than than that. Mm-hmm. 
I know obviously the circumstances here are remarkable. You have a the residence of a former president, but setting that element aside, how unprecedented is it for the FBI to get involved in an investigation that that at least the reporting right now would suggest is about documents, uh, handling of, of material from the White House, potentially classified information. It's this case is extraordinary and unique in virtually every respect. <laughs> it sounds it like certainly it is unique in that it's a former president's house who was searched. But it's also unique in that the statutes that appear to be at issue, the ones that apparently the Justice Department is claiming were violated, are record keeping, archiving statutes. Those statutes typically are not used as the basis for a search warrant. I'll say that, okay. right? I mean, you know, search warrants typically would be for, you know, criminal statutes, you know, drug dealers, things like that. Situations where uh, you know that someone might be involved in a criminal scheme, they've got a lot of evidence in their house, the law enforcement is worried that if they make a request for it, that the guy will dispose of the evidence. So you go in at four in the morning with your FBI strike team and get it all. Th th those are the types of criminal operations where you typically see a search warrant used. I'm certainly not aware of a search warrant being used in the context of the you know, Presidential Records Act, for example. Anytime a dispute arises uh -huh. there, it's always done in more of a, shall we say, gentlemanly fashion, <laughs> way of negotiation and compromise. So does that tell you anything then that they went this route about the investigation, about maybe the nature of these documents or about, uh, I don't know, a, a change in sort of prosecutorial discretion? I, I guess I'm trying to figure out why is this different then? Why was this handled differently than you say traditionally these types of record keeping statutes are handled? It's a great question, and I would love to know the answer. Mm -hmm. And I suspect we will start learning more of the answer if and when the affidavit and the material that supported the search warrant request is someday sees the light of day. I, I think we'll, we'll answer those questions. If we are willing to speculate, uh, you know, some something. Well, I'm trying to stay away from that as much as possible. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know what else we can do because we haven't seen any of the evidence. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's clearly something broke down, right? I mean, from what the news reports is that there was a process of negotiation, mm -hmm. something right. a lot more traditional, something a lot more manageable and, and gentlemanly and respectful. But something changed. And I don't know what it was. It's possible. Again, we're speculating that the government thought perhaps that the records would be destroyed or that mm. the president or members of his staff were about to take some action, either using the documents in an improper way or, as I say, destroying them or putting them beyond the reach of the archivists that made this emergency action, this extraordinary emergency yeah. action necessary. That's a good part. Now, let me ask about the affidavit, the the, the essentially the, the written request, right, to a judge, I guess a magistrate, about why they want to have a search warrant authorized. Uh, Merrick Garland, in his remarks on Thursday, said that he, the Justice Department has now requested that at least part of that warrant be unsealed. I imagine there'll be some redactions to well, protect privacy, maybe. What does that tell you? Because my understanding is the Justice Department usually keeps those things under wraps because they don't want it to give a tip off or, or in some way undermine an ongoing in investigation. This investigation is still going on, is it not? As far as we know, it is. And you're right that typically the Justice Department keeps its cards very close to its vest when it comes to publicly disclosing these sorts of things. What the attorney general said on Thursday, as I understood him, is that they are willing to unseal the warrant itself, but not at least not yet. The supporting materials that justify the warrant. 
Okay. I think what so we, what let me ask real quick, just I, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but what's the difference? Oh, sure. The warrant is a, a form document. Um, it, it's, you know, literally a, a, you know, form that you populate and it, it's at a much higher level. In other words, the warrant will basically give you uh, what the government wants to be searched, the, the, the location of the premises, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who owns the premises, what they're looking for. Uh, it also will say what statutes, what criminal laws it thinks okay. might have been violated. So I think that's a useful piece of information. Sure. We, we, we would know what the investigation's about. Exactly. What what the government thinks, you know, the crime was. Again, okay. it, it, it's not going to be super detailed. It just might say we're investigating violations of Title 18, section this, that, or the other. <laughs> but it'll give us more information than we have now, and it presumably will confirm that this is a record-based warrant rather than something concerning, I don't know, you know, money laundering or January 6th or something. Right. But it would not include like that that inventory that we were talking about. Well, it, it would include uh, the, the the list of things that they want to look for. Okay. Uh, and he may be they I, I just don't recall if he said that they're going to be releasing the inventory. I almost thought he did okay. say they're going to release the inventory. So that would enable you to compare what they were searching for then along with what they took. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's I guess it's a difficult tightrope, right? Because I, I know that the Justice Department does try and like, oh, we don't want to talk about investigations. And, you know, we're going to let these things run its course. But to your earlier point, this is an extraordinary set of circumstances. Um would it have been more appropriate, in your view, as a former senior Justice Department official to have made this statement that he made on Thursday, like Monday evening, first thing Tuesday morning? Yes, I would have done it as soon as the president, the former president, confirmed the search. Okay. In other words. So Monday if, night, you would have said, sure. we're going to explain this. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I, I would have given the former president, you know, at least the possibility if he didn't want to make all of this public is understandably, you know, People may not want to, right? I mean, if your house were searched or something like that, you wouldn't necessarily think to go announce it yeah. on CNN or Fox News or what have you, right? But the ones that I would not, no. But my point is that I think once the president put that out in the public, he clearly was comfortable making it known that this search occurred. And that would have been a much better time for Merrick Garland to come out and say what he said. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. It's an interstate border battle over illegal immigration, pitting an increasingly indignant Texas governor against frustrated sanctuary city mayors like New York City's Eric Adams. By the busloads, they're arriving in blue state big cities across the country. But while leaders in Texas say moving illegal migrants to cities like Washington, D.C. and the Big Apple sends a message, the mayors are fed up and crying foul. Correspondent Nate Foy on what some have called getting a taste of Texas. I can tell you from my time down at the border, I was down there, I think about two months ago at this point. It was my first trip and the NGOs down there are completely overwhelmed. It's not just law enforcement. It's something that impacts these communities where, you know, schools are locked down because of chases throughout their communities. And these are small Texas towns with, you know, 25,000 people. So 
you know, when people in Texas hear these, you know, blue states and cities with a lot more people and a lot more resources criticizing them when, you know, Texas has long felt sort of abandoned in, in dealing with what they believe is a federal problem and using state resources to do it. So, yeah, I think that this is something that Governor Abbott has said that his goal is to you know, shed some light on it and force the Biden administration to actually acknowledge what's happening down there. And, you know, I think Fox News has done a really good job spotlighting that, not just, you know, since this story started, but we've had Bill Malugin down at the border for over a year now. And and in my trip down there, it, it is chaotic down there and those communities are overrun. So this is certainly a problem. And this is the governor's way of trying to expose that problem in a way that you know, he hasn't been able to from, you know, the administration, the Biden administration to this point. So, uh, you know, it has people talking about it and not just Fox News talking about it. Now, other media outlets also reporting on it, which he has stated was one of his goals. One of the cities that have been uh, sort of the recipient of a number of these migrants is Washington, D.C. Mayor Miro Bowser uh, said we need help from our federal partners as we seek to stabilize and manage our operating environment in this critical moment. Uh, she was asking for the assistance of the men and women of the D.C. National Guard. And yet uh, even New York City, sort of a similar circumstance where the mayor is complaining. And you can see this from two ways. You could look at it from their perspective. Hey, listen, uh, this is a problem for all Americans, not just for New Yorkers to have to foot the bill for. And yet I think it's also fair to point out, Nate, that the mayor of New York City, when he was running as a candidate, said, yes, we're we're welcoming for all, and now they're getting all. And, boy, he seems to be running in the other direction, doesn't he? He certainly does. And, you know, bragging about being a sanctuary city or at least, you know, boasting about the city services and, and the housing that would be provided for immigrants, uh, you know, in New York City, and, and the same goes for Washington, D.C., Governor Abbott has said that that's why he chose these two specific cities that, you know, you've made all these promises and now it's time to actually deliver, which, you know, talking about it is easier than actually delivering. But something that I, I do think is worth pointing out, you know, there were, I think the number was 239,000 encounters with migrants in Texas in May. So yeah. 239,000. And in the past week, all this attention has been on this story because Mayor Adams is very upset with Governor Abbott. 360 migrants have been bussed into New York City in the past week. So just 360, and in D.C. it's 6,800, you know, which obviously 6,800 is 6,800 people. That, you know, that, that requires a lot of resources, but it's just a fraction of what Texas has been dealing with, and I think that's the point that the governor of Texas is trying to make. You mentioned something earlier, Nate, uh, and that is this is more than a political football, if you will. We're talking about real lives, real human beings. And when I said a humanitarian crisis and human trafficking and drug trafficking, I mean, this is a real situation uh, for the people down in Texas and California and Arizona. And, and you can understand their frustration because many of them feel, as I've talked to lawmakers and leaders from these particular areas, they feel abandoned by the national government. Uh, the criticism has been particularly acute for uh, the Homeland Security Secretary. Is there anything in the pipeline, anything in the offing, other than lip service, that would lead you to believe that this may lead to substantive change? Well, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said earlier this week that FEMA would be providing uh, funding for NGOs. So, you know, I guess that's something. But to your point, 
in Texas, something that really surprised me when I was down there is it's not really a partisan issue. You know, they mm-hmm. have judges down there, which essentially lead counties. And a lot of these elected judges are Democrats. And, you know, these Democratic judges were very upset that, you know, the border czar of the Biden administration, Vice President Kamala Harris, hasn't been down to visit the border, nor has the president. So, yeah, I, I really picked up a lot on the sense of, you know, of what you're speaking about, that feeling of being abandoned. And it's it's not so political down there. Of course, when you have, you know, the governor of Texas and the mayors of D.C. and, and New York City trading insults, you know, an official in the mayor's office accused Governor Abbott of inciting anti-immigrant hatred. And then you have, you know, the New York City mayor saying that he's being anti-American. And, you know, they're just trading insults back and forth. It, it, it's really something to watch unfold. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like it, really. Yeah, I haven't seen anything like that either, especially at sort of a high level across state lines, if you will. And yet there was also some political implications back in the great state of Texas, Myra Flores, uh, winning her race uh, as a Republican, first generation, not born in this country. And yet she said uh, part of what helped her win victory in her house race was the fact that there is a great deal of frustration by Texans in particular, they feel like, look, we have been taking on tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And frankly, if you want to be blunt about it, having been to Texas as often as I have, as have you, we're looking at millions and millions of people over the uh, maybe the past 20 years who have come into this country absent the proper channel. And most of them assimilate and do very, very well. But it does not lessen the pressure uh, on these border communities and on these border states, whether it be school pressure, hospital, roads, uh, services for public. I mean, these are things that are real dollars. They're real challenges. And that's why I think Governor Abbott has said plainly, now New York and now D.C., you get a taste of, uh, of what we deal with on a daily basis. That's what he's been saying, Nate. Yeah. And, and you know, the, these big cities obviously have a lot of resources. And, and you know from your time down at the border, you know, I think – Something that uh, I, you know, I wasn't too thrilled with when I was down there is that a lot of these towns, there's just a couple of restaurant options, and a lot of it's like fast food. These the, the, these towns are just to kind of paint a picture of what these towns are like. They don't have a lot of resources. I, you know, I was in Roma, Texas, and I believe it was Roma where the, there was only one bus that left the town every day. And mm. you know, when you're in a position when you have all these migrants coming in again, two hundred thirty nine thousand in May. And these small communities are left to deal with it. You know, they're spending so much money trying to deal with that problem. And now you have the mayor of Washington, D.C. saying, you know, we need National Guard support. This is a federal problem. It requires a federal response. And, you know, Governor Abbott is saying exactly that. I think I think the one thing that everyone agrees on in this, everyone being Governor Abbott, as well as the mayors of D.C. and New York City, is that everyone wants more from the Biden administration. They want more in the way of resources. But I think what they'd also like more is more security along the southern border, in particular, when the administration came right in and immediately put a halt to the development of the wall uh, or border security system, as some people have called it, down along the border, and uh, sort of left uh, materials to rust uh, down there in the sun and sort of bake, and people just sort of walk straight in. And and when you don't have the rule of law being enforced, as many Texans feel like is what's happening right now, 
Uh, it, it, they feel overwhelmed, and the truth is they're looking for solutions. They're looking for answers. This may be an unconventional way to draw attention to the problem, but I think it has been effective. Nate, before we let you go, I always like to have the uh, the person that we speak with really sum it up for us because I think sometimes if you're listening and you're busy, you're just sort of passing by, uh, you may not get the sort of takeaway. What's the number one takeaway from this circumstance? And draw from your experience, if you would, having been down there, having seen this in person. I guess in summary, the the people of Texas have felt abandoned for a long time, feeling like they've been left to deal with the border crisis alone. And I can tell you, being down there, it absolutely feels like a crisis. I mean, Bill Malugin is in Eagle Pass, Texas, and he saw 400 migrants cross in about 90 minutes, which, again, is more than all the migrants who have been bused to New York City in the past week. And you've heard all this back and forth attention, complaining, coming out of, you know, this busing story. And, you know, it's only 360 migrants that have been bused into New York. But, you know, from my time down there, essentially, the Border Patrol is just overwhelmed. They're processing all these migrants who just cross the border willingly turn themselves in. And then you have, you know, Texas DPS, the National Guard, trying to track these gotaways. And, you know, these people that sometimes are very dangerous who have no intention of turning themselves into law enforcement because they know they'll be sent back. Perhaps they have a criminal record or whatever the case may be. And the resources in Texas just can't handle the volume that they're dealing with. And then what's spilled over after that is the NGOs in Texas are are trying to provide what they can for all these migrants and stop the humanitarian crisis, but they also don't have the resources. So now you see the governor of Texas trying to do something about it. And so far, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris have not been down to the border. And with that feeling of abandonment, he's trying to really bring as much attention as he possibly can on this crisis. And now it's on some level it is working because other media outlets are reporting on it. You have Mayor Adams and Mayor Bowser very upset. Mayor Bowser renewing her request for National Guard support after the Pentagon denied her initial request last Friday. So we'll see what comes of that. We'll see if the federal government steps in and does more as everyone involved is asking for. And, um, you know, that will ultimately decide whether or not this is beneficial for Governor Abbott, although I would argue on some level it's already been marginally beneficial for him. Nate, thank you so much. You got it. Thank you for having me. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, Democrats score another legislative win and deliver another piece of President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. Now both parties are eager to run on support for and opposition to the Inflation Reduction Act. And Jessica Rosenthal has a pre-midterm chat with the director of the Fox News Decision Desk about the emerging 2024 field. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.